you don't have to know every single thing, but know what's in your heart. Know what you felt you were supposed to do. And she made the comment that it took her an entire year of working on that company before she told one soul, one human being. She didn't tell her best friend. She didn't tell her parents. She didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell anybody. Wow. She spent an entire year working on that before she had the courage or felt she had enough information to move forward with that company. Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. I am excited to be here with Terry Tucker. He's the founder of Motivational Check. We're going to talk about something really cool today. We're going to talk about this concept of it just keeps getting bigger. Okay, now everybody get your mind out of the gutter because that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is something so much more important, and it's actually one of the keys to happiness. So if you're feeling a little bit stuck and you're feeling like life is a little like, oh, I don't know, I'm a little not moving forward, not going backwards, I'm sort of in this comfort zone, well, you're going to want to listen because you're going to want to do the things to let it keep getting bigger because that is a piece of how we do happiness in the world of the humans. <laughs> okay, so before we get started, I would love Terry to introduce himself and tell us what it is that he does, who he serves, all of the things. Are you guys ready? Terry, take it away. Well, today, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Yeah, a, a little bit about me. Um, you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I actually played college basketball at the Citadel, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. Now, take all that and fast forward it to 2012 when I find out I have this very rare form of cancer. That has led me to have my leg amputated, my foot amputated, and a bunch of other things that I'm sure we'll get into. But really what I do today is I help people find and live their uncommon and extraordinary lives. And I think if everybody stays tuned, we'll figure out how we're going to do that. Yes. Well, and such that's a big piece of being the wolf, right? We get to be who we're born to be and 
if we were born to be like every single other person, we would look and think and feel just like every single person. And so I, I believe that there isn't an extraordinary and uncommon person within each of us. And it comes out in our inner wolf. So what can you tell me why it is that you want to help people live these extraordinary, uncommon lives? I, I think it goes back to purpose. And you and I were talking about purpose before we, we jumped on here. And I really like the way you have sort of framed purpose in terms of it just continues to, to grow and to get bigger as you improve yourself. I've never thought about it that way. I've always thought about it as talking about purpose. We seem to always talk about purpose in the singular, like there is a purpose for us. And what I like to think is, at least for me in my life, there have been purposes, plural, where when I was younger, I, it was all about basketball. I was an athlete. I started playing basketball when I was nine, played all the way up until I graduated from college. And then as I moved into adulthood, my, my purpose, or I felt my purpose, was to be in law enforcement. And now, with my disease, and in all honesty, probably coming to the end of my life, I think my purpose has shifted again to putting as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can with whatever time I have left. So I, th those are that's the way I looked at it. You look at it a different way, but I think we're we're both saying the same thing. And I and I like the way you exponentially grow each other's purpose based on what we learn, what we what we experience, and what we feel basically in our hearts. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too if we even think about the evolution of a child. A child is born, they're, they, they don't really know that the whole world isn't them yet. <laughs> they don't have any separation. And then they start to separate into themselves, which is like the terrible twos. And the terrible twos, the hard reality that they're facing is that the whole world doesn't revolve around them. And so it's like we we section off and then through our teenage and preteen years, we're sort of becoming this singular person, one person. And we're not really most of the time thinking about everybody else. I mean, obviously, we have some empathy, we have some compassion, but we're not thinking about the bigger world at large. We might we're concerned about our, our friends we're concerned about our family, but not so much thinking about the bigger world. And then, you know, you go off to college and you start discovering how like there's not great things going on in the world and you, your your use expands. And if you keep stepping into new experiences, your view expands further and further and further. And what I've seen over and over with a lot of my guests is there comes this point where what you're what you want to do with your life has less to do with you and more to do with helping others or the world at large I agree and, and I I think you make a really good point and the way I I've come to understand it is that you know a lot of times people think they're born empty. And that, like you say, once, once you get out of school and you kind of get into life, that your job or your purpose 
seems to fit, to, seems to be to fill up that emptiness. I want to get a good education. I want to get a good job. I want to make a lot of money. I want to drive a nice car, live in a nice house, have a great family. And, and we all want to fill ourselves up. And what I've come to understand is that it's not that we're born empty. It's just the opposite. We're born full. We're born with everything we need to be successful, however you define that word, already inside you. And that it should be your job not to fill yourself up, but to empty yourself out, certainly for the betterment of yourself, but also for the betterment of your family, your friends, your community, and things like that. Because the people I've seen who spend their whole life getting stuff never seem to be happy because there's always more stuff to get. There's always one more thing that they want that will make them happy, that will make them fulfilled. Whereas the people that say, okay, I'm going to serve, I'm going to give of myself to other people, those people seem to always be happy, to always be fulfilled, and to always be growing and developing as a person. Well, it really definitely comes to this place. I love how you say we are born full and most people think that they're empty. And we have these ideas of what will create success, what will ultimately make our parents proud, what will ultimately uh, give us that feeling of being full. Like this even happens with food. You have that feeling of being satiated and full. And so many, often people are connecting with that sort of emotion of feeling empty and they'll think they're hungry. And so maybe they'll eat more to fill themselves up or maybe they'll work more because if they're more successful, that will fill me up. And, you know, as long as you give yourself the space to rest, and replenish your nutrients, so to speak, what actually fills you up is connection and giving and helping and all of those things. And so I think as people grow older, what a big thing that happens is they've tried all the things to fill themselves up. And eventually, for a lot of people, they have these like mind shift moments, whether it be a trauma or they get sick or something, and they realize that, oh, none of this stuff actually fills me up. Once I have my basic needs met, then I can give to others and it feels so much better and different. But it's very different from, I think, a lot of people are giving and being of service in order to get some of that stuff back. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'll, I'll give you the, the best definition of success that I've ever heard. I, I was a big fan of a basketball coach who coached at UCLA by the name of John Wooden. And probably one of the most successful college basketball coaches of all times. But this is how he defined success. He said, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. And I think that that's such a great definition. It doesn't say anything about winning. 
It doesn't say anything about what you get or how much money you make or what position or status that you hold. It's peace of mind in knowing that basically you did whatever you could to become the best person that you're, that you're capable of becoming. I mean, and if you think about kids in school, if, if somebody works really, really hard and gets a C, say, in English, whereas another person, uh, you know, writing, reading, things, it comes very easy. They don't work very hard and get an A. Who's the most successful person there? It's probably the kid that got the C because he or she worked incredibly hard to get that as opposed to the person, I don't need to, I don't need to study very much. I don't need to do my homework. I don't need, because this stuff comes natural to me. Well, that's not a person who could say, it's peace of mind because I did the very best I could possibly do to, be, to get the best grade in that class. No, I didn't need to try very hard and I got that, that A. So don't be too concerned with, again, it goes back to, you know, did I get an A? Did I get a B? Did I get a C? No, it's again, going back to something that we haven't talked about yet. It's not the destination. It's the journey. And I think, as you say, as people get older, they figure that out. It's not about what I can get. It's not about how much I can get. It's about the relationships I had along the way. It's about the hugs and the jokes and the laughter and the things that we do as human beings to connect. And I think if COVID taught us anything, it's just how much we need each other. That if you look at when we were isolated, alcoholism rates went up, drug abuse rates went up, domestic violence rates went up. We need each other to be happy. We need each other to be successful in life. And that goes back to what you started at the beginning. It's all about the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, I think about, I go back to my school days. And for me, I had, I mean, high school, I graduated high school with a 4.25 and like honors and AP classes and all of that. But it was never for me. It was my ticket out of there. It was... I got validation from teachers. And that's all it really was for me. As long as I did it right, as long as I did it well, then I would be safe enough. I would be okay. And I never had that thing that I think we're talking about when we're talking about this kind of success where I was legitimately, genuinely proud of myself because I was never doing it for me. I was doing it to stay safe, to be okay, to not get in trouble, all of these things. And so when we go back to that idea of success, when you're talking about the peace of mind, I think there's two kinds of pride in this world. There's like, there's pride that's sort of ego-based, that's a little maybe negative. And then there's the kind of pride that's about yourself where you go to bed It is that self-satisfaction. You know that you did your best. You tried hard. You gave yourself the space you needed if you had to stop. And you pushed your edges. You did all of that thing so that you grew and expanded. And that place of really being proud of yourself, that I think really fits with that idea of success that you're talking about. Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. Again, you know, it's not about the grade. It's about what I did to get the grade. It's about it's about the journey. Did I work hard? Am I a better person today? And and that's something I, I don't figuratively do this, but every day you you should take stock of yourself. Am I a better human being today 
than I was yesterday? And what caused me to do that? And how can I replicate that tomorrow so that I'm a better human being the next day? And I think so many people don't do that. So many, so many people get to a point in their life and they just sort of quit or give up or get comfortable. And, and we know this. You never grow in a state of comfort. You have to step out so the, outside those comfort zones. One of the jobs that I had uh, in my life was I was a girls' high school basketball coach when we lived in Texas. And I used to constantly, my players would probably tell you this, if you, if you pulled them, he used to always tell us, you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's the only way you grow. That's the only way you improve. That's the only way you get better. But doing that, it, it is so counterintuitive to the way our brains are wired. Our brains are wired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So by, by doing uncomfortable things, you grow, but it's also, you also callous your mind. You also get your mind to a point where it, it doesn't fear hard things. It accepts them to make you grow as a human being. One of the things like I love working with entrepreneurs because you're forced to step out of your comfort zone all the time. You have to keep growing because your business is a reflection of you and your business will stagnate if you stagnate. But one of the pieces is that, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, what it really boils down to is this place that deep down you have this belief that hey, I really do have everything I need within me. I really am capable of taking the next step. I might not be capable of taking the step that I'm going to need to take 15 steps from now, but, I, but I'll be capable when I'm there. But right now I can take one step. And so really trusting yourself and trusting that you do have the capability and you do have the know-how to take the next step because I think what happens so often when we stay in that comfort zone, the reason we don't step out of the comfort zone is because there's the little voice in our head saying, I don't know, maybe it's not such a good idea. And that little voice, because you've been staying comfortable, has not been, it doesn't trust that you can take the next step. And so there's this inner lack of trust that develops over time. And I think that's such a big piece that people are struggling with when they're trying to step forward and to create stepping into bigger things is they're listening to that little voice because they have not made it a habit to keep stepping into the uncomfortable zone and proving to themselves and their subconscious mind and and every every other part of them that, hey, you are capable of taking the next step. You're you're absolutely right, and and sometimes that voice is not just inside; it's it's from people who oh yeah, reportedly love you, your 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 parents or or your your significant other or your kids or something like that. I I, I was listening to an interview by a man by the name of Jesse Itzler. Now Jesse's married to a woman by the name of Sarah Blakely who started Spanx, which is a, a woman's undergarment company. And she was, he was talking about how when she started Spanx, he said if she would have waited, and I think this is another problem with people. People wait till everything is perfect. Everything is in order. I've got everything lined up. That was never going to happen. In, in, in anything you do in life, I'm, I'm going to wait till everything's perfect. 
there's there's no such thing as a perfect job. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship or a marriage or anything like that. You you have to just jump in. He made the comment that if if Sarah Blakely would have waited to start Spanx until everything was in line, he said, I guarantee you somebody else would have started it, would, would have started that concept and run with it and, and taken that company off. He said she jumped in with both feet, understanding that I don't I don't know. I don't I don't have all the answers here. But like you say, you know, maybe I'm I'm good at marketing. Maybe I'm good at sales. She was selling fax machines before she started Spanx. And fax machines, I don't think even exist anymore. I don't know. Thank goodness she started <laughs> Spanx because she wouldn't have a business anymore if she was selling fax machines. Exactly. But what she said was, I knew sales. I, I didn't know finance. I didn't know operations. I didn't know those things. And that's okay. You don't have to. You can always find people that are experts in those particular fields and, and plug them in as you move along in, in your job. And, and that's fine. That, you don't have to know every single thing, but know what's in your heart. Know what you felt you were supposed to do. And she made the comment that it took her an entire year of working on that company before she told one soul, one human being. She didn't tell her best friend. She didn't tell her parents. She didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell anybody. Wow. She spent an entire year working on that before she had the courage or felt she had enough information to move forward with that company. Well, and I love that she probably did this so that she wouldn't have to listen to everybody else's ears in her or everybody else's voices in her ears. Because when people are talking about, oh, I don't know, like, of course, when I jumped in to start this business, my family was like, are you sure? Well, you could always go back to doing the other thing. And, and you know, and it's it's been messy. I mean, and that's the thing. And when you talk about that idea of waiting till it's perfect, if you wait till it's perfect, you're not growing. So if you're not going to grow, then the odds of you having deep success is pretty slim. You will create maybe some success that's sort of equal to what you've had in your life up to this point. But unless you're willing to get a little messy, and I know for those perfectionists out there, it's not comfortable, but you're not going to have something bigger and greater than what you already have. Because if you wait till it's perfect, then you're still, you're staying inside that boundary and you're not letting the thing get bigger. Yeah. yeah and, and being... Being comfortable enough with yourself, with your ability, with who you are to say that I'm going, it's okay to fail. I, I, I remember the, the, the quote from Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa, who said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And I think today so many people feel that failure is a negative word. And, and it's, it's not. The, the road to success is paved with failure. And, and that's okay. I, I guarantee you, if we looked at a, an athlete or, or a performer or a doctor or a lawyer or a, or a business person and say, boy, that person made it. They're successful. I guarantee you, if you sat them down and said, what were your failures? They'd be able to list those things off one right after the other. Because again, you grow when you fail. As long as you learn, it, that, that's, that's what people don't understand. Did you learn something? Yeah. I learned something. Well, can you apply that to either improving your business or starting another business or, or going to another company? Whatever that ends up being. Sure you can. 
But we, we think that somehow, oh, we fail. People look at me different. Why, why do you care what people think? People are on their own journey. You're on your journey. And Be on your journey. And don't worry about what other people think about you. Don't worry about what somebody said on social media or they didn't like the way your hair looked or they didn't like the way you were wearing, what you were wearing. That, who cares? Why well, are you letting those people rent space in your head? And the thing is that's so important to know is when you're worried about that, all you're doing is focusing on how empty you are. So go circling that right back. And the people that are talking shit about you, they're focused on how empty they are. So they got to try and make you empty. And so that idea of keep going, try not to listen, trying to not let it get to you because it creates this feeling like I'm lacking something. I'm lacking the capability. I'm lacking the know-how. I don't know how to do it. What do I do next? I'm missing something. So that feeling of empty, that feeling of lacking is going to, it's going to sabotage you every time. So I want to dive into your personal story because you have a really big, profound story. But before that, I want, I would love for you to tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, how they can work with you, what are the things. And, and also, if you're listening, you definitely want to hang on because we're going to share the four truths a little bit later that you're going to want to hear. Sure. So the, the easiest way to get in touch with me is I have a blog called Motivational Check. Every day I put up a thought for the day. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. I books recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. You can leave me a message. That's all at motivationalcheck.com. Yeah, so type open, type open. Open up the browsers. <laughs> type in motivationalcheck.com. There's no weird spelling, so it's easy, motivationalcheck.com. And, you know, we all, we're so used to scrolling social media and sometimes the good is mixed with the bad and it takes you up it takes you down so sometimes it's nice to really like open something and focus on something that's all positive all motivational keeps you moving forward and not tapping into that feeling of empty <laughs> so now you started off you went to basketball. You went had a scholarship, right? You did, did. scholarship for basketball in college, but you want you didn't want to go to college technically in the beginning back then. Is that correct? No, I did. I did want to go to college. I I just wanted to pursue a different path when I when I graduated from college, okay. uh, a path that was different from my father's. And and your father wanted you to do what? My father wanted me to go in business. He wanted me to get a business degree graduate, go into business, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. That, that was my dad's utopia of what right. he wanted for me. And what did you want to do? I wanted to follow in my grandfather's footsteps of being a police officer. And your dad didn't like that, did he? <laughs> no, he absolutely did not. And, and I can understand why he did. My, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So was in Chicago during Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression in the late 1920s, early 1930s. And when the gangs, Al Capone and those guys were shooting up the town, my grandfather was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It's not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad, who was an infant, always remembered the stories that my grandmother told of that knock on the door of, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us. Your husband's been shot. So- 
when I expressed an interest in following my grandfather's footsteps, my father was absolutely not. You're going, you're going to college. You're going to get into business. So you did all of that. And then tell, tell, tell me what happened next in your career path. Yeah. So I, I did that. And so I graduated from college and my father is dying of cancer. So I have a choice to make. Probably the, the really first big choice I had to make in my life. I could have said, eh, sorry, dad, I know you're dying, but I'm going to go blaze my own trail. I'm going to go into law enforcement or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So if you look at my resume, my first two jobs, my first job was in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. And my second job was a hospital administrator. And I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away. And then I followed my own dreams, which I did. I became a 37-year-old rookie police officer, which by most accounts is pretty late to be getting into that line of work. Okay. Well, it's so interesting too, because we have, people have all their judgments. Like, oh, well, you shouldn't care what your parents think and, and you, you should just do what you want. And then there's the other side of it, like, oh, well, I waited. It was important for me to honor my family. That was something that was important for me, the team of my family. And But then a lot of times people will get a little older and they have an opportunity and they're like, I'm too old. I'm not going to follow my dream. This path I've chosen is safe. It's comfortable. It's not getting any bigger. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's... I, I guess if I'm proud of myself for anything, it's never letting that dream die. D despite the fact that I, I knew I wasn't doing, I wasn't living my purpose when I was in business and, and when I was in hospital administration, I, I knew there was always something nagging at me, something like, yeah, okay, you're learning a lot. You're meeting a lot of great people, but it's not what you're supposed to do. And you're right. I think so many people get to a point in their lives, whether it's in their their 30s or their 40s or their 50s, or what, and, and they quit. They just give up. It's like, I'm, it's good enough. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Right. But I always, I always use the story of Colonel Sanders, who started Kentucky Fried Chicken. Colonel Sanders started that franchise after he retired. He was in his 60s yeah. before he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, I don't know if that was his purpose in life. I'm going to assume that it was. But think about how, how many people out there that started things later in life, whether it was painting or whatever you ended up doing that became very successful at it. If they would have just stepped back and said, ah, good where I am right now. Don't, don't rock the boat. Just leave me alone. I'm fine. And like I said, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. That's not what I felt I want to do. I always felt that there was this dream and someday I didn't know when someday I was going to make it to that dream, or at least I was going to give that dream a shot. And, and I'll be honest with you. As a 37-year-old rookie police officer, I took a whole lot more Tylenol than my counterparts in the police academy. <laughs> Probably, I can imagine. So the other piece, too, that I really think about is you ended up becoming a SWAT team negotiator, a hostage negotiator. Now, this is something I've been curious since we talked about your experience leading up to going into the police force do you think that that served you in the career that you had in the police force? Did it help you with the hostage negotiations? Did it 
help you to maybe move up the ranks, so to speak, a little bit faster than maybe some of your younger counterparts. What did, what did it, what was it for you? How was it for you bringing that experience into your dream profession? Absolutely. I, I look back and I, I, I don't regret ever going into business and doing those things because it allowed me to talk to people. And I, and I know going into law enforcement today is, is not something that's on most people's mind. It's not something they have interest in doing. But every now and then somebody will reach out to me and say, I'd, I'd like to get into this line of work. What do you recommend? And the one thing I always tell them is put down your devices and go out into the street and talk to the homeless person and go up to the penthouse and talk to that person. Because if you can talk to people in law enforcement, you'll be successful at it. If you can't, if the only way you can communicate is by tapping numbers on a screen, you'll be miserable at that job. Because one of the things that makes you a good cop is to be curious, is to ask questions. Why did that happen? Well, wait a minute. You told me this. How did that go? And, and if you can do that, you can solve crimes. You, you, can, you can figure out who's telling you the truth because in law enforcement, everybody lies to you. <laughs> you can figure out. Oh, I've lied to you. <laughs> but if you can't talk to people, that's a job where you're going to be incredibly frustrated. Mm. Yeah. So one thing that I see over and over is people will take these paths that are, quote, the wrong paths. But what they don't realize is they gain so much and they learn so much along the way. One, of, one job that I did for a very long time is I was a bartender and I was always so curious as to why people would act one way when they're sober, another way when they're drunk. Why would they would say one thing when they're sober and do something different when they're drunk? And what I've learned is it's because alcohol, like I'll get a little science and techie for just a second, is alcohol dumbs down your default mode network. So the critical factor that sort of keeps you in check is not there. So what's going on in your subconscious mind actually comes out to play. And I work a lot with the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is what gets in our way. Consciously, we want to do things. We're motivated. We're doing all these things. But as soon as we're tired, depleted, sick, stressed out, all of that stuff, then the subconscious mind will take over and we end up doing these things that we're not necessarily proud of. Going back to that being proud of yourself and with a piece of that is getting the subconscious mind and the and the conscious mind to work together. And now it's funny, if I have drinks, I'm totally exactly the same. I used to be more friendly when I would drink because subconsciously I always felt scared to connect and use my voice and have feelings and all of those things. So when I would get drunk, I would that part of me that I had been hiding because it wasn't safe would come out. And for, you know, in general, that was a pretty, I was pretty good drunk, right? <laughs> Who cares if yeah. you're a little friendly and nicer if you're sober? I mean, if you're been drinking, but for a lot of people, it's the opposite. So like they'll, they're, they'll get a little drunk, a little tipsy, or they'll be tired and depleted and they'll treat people terribly, or they'll lash out or things that they're not so proud of. But one of those things, too, it's like those pieces circling back 
all those experiences we had at other jobs build on top of each other to really create uh, more of our purpose and allow us to fulfill more of the things. I love for you specifically how you had the you in the beginning it was so much about the team you did team sports and you learned and you grew so much by supporting the team and when your father wanted you to go to college you supported the team of your family by doing that and then you move into police work and you're supporting the community and obviously your brothers and sisters in the uniform as well and then what happens next in your life? Tell us. <laughs> yeah. The, basically what I've been dealing with for the last 11 and a half years now is I have a, I have a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And, and I was a basketball coach at, as well at this time. And I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It's just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I get the call from him that so many of us dread in life. And as I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until finally he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen the cancer, the form of cancer that you have. You have this incredibly rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And that has basically consumed my life and the life of my family for the last, as I said, 11 and a half years. So what I really love, though, is you, even through all of this, you are still leaning into finding a way to give back. Yeah, I, I think that was something. In all honesty, I learned from my father when my father was dying of cancer. He had end-stage breast cancer back in the 1980s, and they really didn't know how to treat a man with breast cancer back then. So they told him to go home and die. And he basically lived another three and a half years. And I believe the reason he did was because he had a purpose. He was in real estate and he actually worked up till two weeks before he died. And I sort of tucked that in the back of my mind and said, well, when it's my turn sort of in the barrel, I'm going to have that. I'm going to have to have a purpose because if you don't have a purpose, you just sit around and think about how horrible your plight is and how terrible this disease is and how it makes you feel and how it's affecting your family. You have to have a purpose. And for me, like I said, that purpose has been to put as much goodness, positivity, motivation, no matter how I feel. And I, I, am, I still have tumors in my lungs. I'm treated every three weeks for an entire week at the hospital. I've just come off a week of treatment and I have two weeks off before I go back. And my wife and I occasionally have a disagreement about how I should handle this because she's like, your, your blood counts are low. You, you need to rest. You need to relax. And I always tell her, I'll get plenty of rest when I'm dead. These podcasts, interacting with people like you and your audience, that energizes me. That gives me a purpose and that allows me to continue to move forward. 
And one of the things that I talked earlier in the very beginning about one of the keys to happiness is as human beings, we have to be happy. We have to have a problem to solve. It is our human nature that if we don't have a problem to solve, we will make up problems. We will decide that our house isn't good enough. Our car isn't good enough. We're going back to that empty feeling all over again. So this thing of having a purpose, when you have a purpose, it's got to be something that's bigger than you, bigger than your family, bigger than your community. It has to be a problem that can never be solved. And this is important. It has to be positively motivated because a lot of times, oh, I want to save the world or save all the children from hunger. Well, when you do, when you say I'm saving children from hunger, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping people from starving, your mind sees an image of a starving child. And when your mind sees an image of something negative, that's what it's going to try and create. That's that empty feeling, right? The empty feeling is the child starving. So if your purpose then becomes every child is well fed, the image that just popped in your mind is totally different. And your motivation and the way you feel about going after that purpose is totally different. And that's the kind of purpose that energizes you. When you're thinking about the children starving, it depletes your energy because it makes you feel empty. But when you think about the children well-fed and how healthy they look, that motivates you in a totally different way. Now, you have four truths that you use to keep yourself on track. I do. I, I, I You know, I call them my four truths. They're not mine. I, I don't own them. I don't have them copyrighted. I don't, I don't think you can do that with a truth. I think a truth is eternal. But I'll give them to you. I actually have them. I have written, written them on a post-it note right here in my office. So I see them multiple times during the day. They constantly get reinforced in my mind. And they're just one sentence each. So I'll give them to you. Here's the first one. Control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Secondly, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life. And use that pain and difficulty to make you stronger and more resilient. The third one is, I guess I, I kind of look at it as a, as a legacy type of truth. And it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one I think is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I'd look at those four truths. I call them sort of the bedrock of my soul. I think they're just a good place to try to build a quality life off of. Yeah, let's go through them again one more, one at a time. And um, I think I, I have some nuggets to drop in there. So tell me the first one. Control your mind or your mind is going to control you. So remember earlier when I said your brain needs a problem to solve. And if you don't have a problem to solve, it's going to find one. <laughs> that is a perfect example of that. It's going to find like when life is good, eventually you're going to find something that's not good about it unless you have something that you're focused on. And so that's a big piece of controlling your mind. Um, what's the next one? The next one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger 
and more resilient individual. Right. And that goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, was pushing outside the comfort zone. And the more you keep doing that, the stronger you get, the more you know deep within your soul that you can handle the next step, whatever it is. All right. I, I, there's a quote by Ernest Hemingway that I like. It just popped into my head when you were talking and it goes, uh, life breaks everyone. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, many are stronger at the broken places. Mm -hmm. It's like the Japanese pottery thing where they use the gold to fill in the cracks and those parts of the pottery, I forget what it's called, and th those parts of the pottery become much stronger. Okay, what was number three? Number three is, is the legacy type of truth. It says, it's what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. Yeah, and I think we all just have, once we are out of pain, once we feel safe, once we feel good, there is this natural desire, I see it with the work that I do with people, to leave the world a better place somehow. And and every, you don't have to do something big, huge thing, like saying hello to people on the street and smiling can be such a powerful and profound thing. I have a neighbor that's so sweet, says hello to everybody. This is in New York City. And she has had so many people come up to her and say, I literally walk down the street on days when I'm not feeling that great, just in the hopes that you'll say hello and smile because it makes a difference in my life. So your legacy can be really big. It can be really small, um, but it all makes a difference. It, it really does. I, I Funny story, I had a I had blood work taken every week before I started my treatment. And I I was there early in the morning, it was six o'clock in the morning. And the receptionist comes in and, and I said, Hey, how you doing? How was your weekend? What did you do anything? And she said to me, she said, you know, you're always so nice. You're always so kind to me. And I said, well, why do you find that strange? And she said, because so many people come in here and, and they're mean and they're gruff and they don't treat me very nice. And I asked her, I said, do you, do you know why they, they're doing that? She's like, well, I don't know. And she, she's fairly young. I said, because they're scared, they're nervous, they're anxious about what they're going to find out when they get their blood result and what their doctor's going to tell them. I said, what a tremendous opportunity you have to put some kindness, to put some positivity, to put some love back into their life when they're probably having a horrible day just by how you interact with them. Don't feel like they're taking it out on you. Again, what you can get, what can you give? I can give kindness. I can give a smile. I can say, hey, how you doing? How's your week going? What's it? Whatever you feel is, is, is appropriate at the time, but make a positive dent in their life. Yeah. And it's, it's not always so easy when yeah. you're constantly around people. Like I feel for, feel bad for people that work at the DMV and, some of like the cable company, right? Because every cable company is the worst. Like, and so when you deal with people day in and day out that are angry, that are upset, and and just remembering that it it's not about you, it's about what's going on within them. So, what was the last one? The the last one is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And right. I think that's pretty self explanatory. As long as you don't give up, as long as you keep trying. Whether you make it or not, again, it goes back to what we were talking about. It's not the destination. It's the journey. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's a beautiful place to 
wrap it up, but I do want to ask you one more question. Sure. Now, if you go back to, can you think of a point where you didn't have the positive outlook in your life? Um, I think just not being very mature when I was in high school, I had, I had three knee surgeries in high school and I was, I was absolutely my worst enemy. I was in my head. I was in my way. So yeah, I can, I can think of that. Okay. So what did that young man need to know to flip the script on his mindset, what he was thinking? I'll answer that with, with a story. If I may, I, 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 I had it. a nurse recently ask me what it was like to have my foot amputated in 2018 and my leg amputated in the middle of the COVID pandemic in 2020. And I told her it's, it certainly hasn't been easy. I'm six foot eight inches tall, learning how to walk again. Falling is not an option from this height. People get hurt. So that's not good. But what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties. But cancer can't touch my heart, cancer can't touch my mind, and cancer can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who everybody's listening to us. And we spend all this time, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, working on our bodies. We've got to exercise and eat right and reduce stress and get enough sleep. And you absolutely should do that. But what I am suggesting is maybe every day, spend a little more time working on who you really are, which is your heart, your mind, and your soul. This body's going to die. It's going to decay. It's going to go away. But your heart, your mind, and your soul, those things are eternal. They will live on forever. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. All right. I think this is a good place to say that thing that I always say, which is when you feel good about who you are and what you do, you evolve humanity. So thank you, Terry, for sharing your story, your wisdom, your heart, your soul, all the things that you are with us today. And we will see all of you next time on Be The Wolf. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.